Have you seen Joe Biden eat an ice cream cone? No, I haven't. It's which is why absolute is an absolute monstrosity. You the bite man into it. Like, bites how is that? into it like a fucking drumstick. That like, seems he is completely too normal good to me. To lick it. Like, no, just no, no. It's not about. It's about efficiency. Like this, this man wants to eat as much ice cream as possible. It's it's like it's like a scene from Jurassic Park watching him eat an ice cream. Is cone. it that scene where like the T Rex comes in and eats the guy from the bathroom stall, like just straight on down? He, I've seen him do it multiple ways. CNN video, shout out to CNN, put together a little com- combination, compilation, whatever, of Joe Biden eating ice cream, and it's like you could put the music from or like the sound effects from Jurassic Park on it, and it would fit perfectly. He's like the T Rex sounds. It's or a the- weird combination of like tongue and teeth, and he's just like bites into it sideways. It is very, very concerning. I I think that somebody out there, you know, in the world would appreciate. A, a short clip of Joe Biden eating ice cream while the, like the theme song goes on, like the da 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 da. But like also the sound effects of like flesh ripping. Uh, you actually full disclosure before we start the episode. You, I am not an ice cream fan. You know this about me. I see. Very nuanced. So going back cream. to Joe Biden. <laughs> going back to Joe Biden. Yes. Um. So how much ice cream do you think he can consume if if he's eating at the if he's eating it the way that he is? Um, I, there's actually a statistic that the average American consumes 48 pints of ice cream in one year. That's a rate of about one pint every week. Do you and know I how think many Joe Biden accounts for half of that? And I many, account for none of that. So how many gallons is that? Uh, let's see. There's how many pints are in a gallon? Yeah. Okay. So yeah. my roommate, Ryan eats yeah. like half gallons, like maybe two a month. Yeah. So he's probably eating about a gallon a month, 12 gallons a year. Yeah, so he is eating, let's see, 12 times 16. Wow, this is a lot of math. Yeah, don't worry about that math. What I want what I want to ask you is that do you think that Joe Biden eats more than 12 gallons of ice cream a year? I don't know. I don't think so. He's like much later on in his life than your roommate, so um, is that a I'd good imagine, thing or a bad thing? Does that no, make I him mean, eat he's more like, ice cream? He, he's yeah, I think it means he eats or, less because he uh, he has to worry about his health. He's got to worry about his health and stuff, you know. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Taste It podcast. It's the tastiest podcast on the Intersphere. And today we have the tastiest treat that we want to talk about. We hit up Be More Licks in Baltimore and just had a wonderful, wonderful day. Um, I'm so excited to talk about it. I can't wait. And uh, I'm here I'm with Jose, my main man. I was just about to point <laughs> to you. I'm here with my main man, Jose. Jose. And we are, are just going to have such a good episode today. Yeah. So, we did an ice cream episode. We did do an ice cream episode. Our and first I, one on the podcast. I know. And I think it was about time because we a lot of our stuff is very uh, Food, entree oriented. Very, very yeah. savory stuff going on in different restaurants. This time we went for a more like sweet tooth kind of option, a little dessert, you know, for all the fun times that we've had. Exactly. I, uh, I've been wanting to do a dessert episode for a while because I really like dessert. And I was kind of frustrated that we decided to do our first dessert episode on ice cream, which I don't like. I'm not a big ice cream fan. We both know this, but that's but that's besides the point. I put my petty differences aside with ice cream and I did it for the pod and we yes. went and we tried it. Yes. And I actually learned a lot about ice cream, which is good, which is I like learning new things as much as I like trying new things, which is what the show is all about. And so I was really happy to do that. Yeah, um, more than a sweet tooth, I think you have a big craving for new knowledge. Exactly. And it's like kind of becoming a running thing on the show now where it's like we don't like to just go try new food. We like to actually like dive into the food yeah. that we're learning. Where it's did like, it come from? What's the story? You know, it, it like adds a lot. It's like the way that toppings add uh, more flavor to the to the ice cream that you have the knowledge of like where you're going adds more to the experience. What an apt analogy for this episode. Yeah, it's almost like I thought of this beforehand. It's like the toppings to the meal that you're eating. Yeah, with, exactly. the, with the extra knowledge. When you know where it comes from, you know what it's about. So, so tell us a little bit more about ice cream and why it's so important to modern day ice cream enthusiasts like me. Yeah, I was I was really interested in learning where ice cream came from because it's kind of a weird thing. It's like, yeah, what is ice cream? It's just like frozen milk and sugar. I've and, always, I've and always assumed that it's that. And yeah. I, you know what? Like I've made ice cream in like science experiments, 
you yeah, know, like, like in it, high school and yeah, stuff. Yeah. So, but like, tell me a little bit more about where it comes from. So that's the thing. It's I couldn't get a clear answer on that. It's because I wanted to know kind of the first thing I want to do when I'm learning about a new food that we try is that who is the first to do it? You know, where did it come from? Where is the origin? Is there like, like a Sir Kevin uh, ice cream out there? No, ice cream is actually named because it's iced cream. No, that makes more <laughs> sense for sure. Yeah, like way, way more sense. But uh, no, actually, so it's I, I wanted to find out like who did it first, like where did this this ice cream thing come from? And the answer is like, there's no real answer. There's like so many origin stories, right? And it kind of falls into the problem of like, well, what is ice cream? Is it just like cold flavored stuff? Because like people have been doing that for a long time. I found out that Ice cream actually goes back to China. I feel like you can date everything back to China for some reason. Okay, wait, wait, before before you go into the actual story, let me let me take a quick stab, a quick guess as to what's going on. Okay. So ice cream, it's iced cream, um, and it started in China. I'm guessing that somewhere in China, there's like these mountains, right? And they're like high up in the mountains. And on those mountains, there's like a family of cows, you know? And sometimes these mountains get really cold. These cows produce milk. Farmers collect this milk, leave it in barrels or whatever they had back in the day. They forgot it one day, just the milk turned to ice and became cream. And then someone tried it because they were like, you know what? We try all kinds of weird shit nowadays, like wine, the fermented wine and beer. So let me try this. And then it just tasted amazing. How close am I? Not at all. Okay. Uh, it was, What's it the actual was story? Such a valiant attempt. And you were actually kind of close with like mountains and shit. So the actual story is that, well, there's like seven different stories, but I'll, I'll just run through a few of them so you can sure. kind of get an idea sure, for sure, origin. Sure. Some people say that ice cream dates back to originating in China, which is like a lot of things I feel like date back to originating China. But basically there was like a dish where they would use buffalo milk and flour and camphor um, all together and, and use um, ice from the mountains to freeze it. So you were kind of right with the mountains far off. Um, to freeze it. And then that was like a, a, a kind of dessert thing they have. In Greece, they were also flavoring snow with like fresh fruit and stuff like that. Later at a, at a different point in time, some people say uh, Hippocrates, who's the, the, you guys might know, is like the father of modern medicine, said that eating flavored ice livens the life juices and increases well-being. And that guy invented medicine. So I guess I, I guess ice cream might be good for you, according to him. I trust it. Alexander the Great ate snow with honey and stuff like that. Nero, who was like this Roman emperor and Emperor's stuff like that, yeah. would have people go into the mountains, get ice for him to come back down, and then he would put fruit juices on and stuff like that. So if you call ice cream just like icy, sweet stuff, its origin story is like unknown because it comes from wherever. That's the moral of all this is that people have been eating snow for a long time. And the only reason I bring all this up is because the only similar thread through all of these origin stories is that people were eating snow or ice from the mountains, which I was originally surprised by, but I guess uh, it makes sense. I guess for some of them, it would definitely be some kind of delicacy. Cause like, can you imagine bringing snow into like Rome? Exactly. That's what I was going to say. It's like you, if you wanted to have it, you had to have it that same day because there's no refrigeration, right? Yeah. So at first I was surprised by it, but then I was like, no, it actually makes a lot of sense. Cause like, where are you going to get cold stuff? Like it has to come from nature, but who is the the idiot who was just like, hey, you see that snow on the mountain? Like, I want to eat that with, and then you're like, oh, it doesn't honey? taste very good. Let me put some honey and like juices on it. And we're like, well, yeah, you got it from the mountain. <laughs> um, So it's kind of crazy. Yeah. Think about that. If you wanted ice cream, you literally had to go send one of your servants up into the mountain to go get you ice cream. Right. Come back with it. Now, a lot of people didn't have servants, which is why ice cream was kind of relegated to like only high society. Sure. This is true for that like- That makes sense. That makes sense for a lot of like delicacies yeah. and a lot of desserts. Exactly. Hundreds of years that follow even into the new into the new world like into america and stuff like that like ice cream was like really for the uh uppityest of the uppity the ones um, who could afford it it wasn't the people's yeah it wasn't the people's dessert like it is today so uh actually ice cream in the contemporary sense let's start t- stop talking about like snow and stuff okay so ice cream in the traditional sense where like you and i probably understand it is as old as America is in the terms of history of American ice cream. It's older. It sounds like, it's, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, uh, about it's like first shows up in like the mid 1700s. There's like records, bank notes, you know, advertisements, and stuff like that. that. People have found trying to piece together, like where it came from. George Washington spent $200 over a single summer in 1790. There's a, there's a bank record of this on ice cream. Back in the day, that was like thousands. That's still a ridiculous amount of money to spend on ice cream. That's $200 bills of him. 
I yeah, that's two hundred individual bills of himself. Yeah, yes. it's crazy. And Dolly Madison, who is James Madison's uh, wife, would yeah. like was famous for making strawberry ice cream uh, at his inauguration, his second inauguration wow. in the White House, and it was like a big deal. Yeah. So you can see it's like the upper echelon of society is like where you get this ice cream stuff. Yeah. And it's, that's so weird because it's so different from how it is now where it's just like, it's the people's, it's the people's ice cream. Anyone um, could go to like be more licks and yeah. like spend five bucks to get an ice cream. Right. And so. exactly. And yeah, that, that, that all changed. Uh, actually it's, is perfect segue is that when ice cream started to become kind of industrialized. Yeah. That all happened with like the invention of refrigeration and all these mechanical things uh, that like helped you to make ice cream. It took it out of the hands of like the elite and put it in the hands of like, like the common man that actually was spearheaded by uh, a man from Baltimore. His What's name, his name? Jacob Hustles. Fussles. Excuse me. Sorry, Jacob. What's the fussle? Um, his, the hustle? <laughs> his name is Jacob Fussell. Fussell. And uh, he, uh, he took advantage of these new technologies and kind of led this motion to like yeah. industrialize and mass produce ice cream he and stuff hustled. like that. Yep. And then that brings us to today where the average American is eating 48 pints of ice cream yeah, every or if you're my single roommate, year. Or if 48 you're, pints of ice cream every three months. Yeah. Or if you're Joe Biden, probably a hundred gallons of ice cream every day. No, I don't believe that. I still <laughs> firmly believe that my roommate can out yeah. out ice cream eat Joe Biden. I, that's probably true, and he's he's not alone. A lot of people like ice cream so much so that the place that we went to has the line literally out, out the door, door wrapping around, around the, the block. It was it's such a great place. We went to Be More Licks, which is our local Baltimore uh, owned, you know, ice cream extravaganza i don't know what emporium? to call it it's just it's yeah it's an ice cream emporium really it's just Small so shop. fantastical yeah. yeah uh you want to you want to walk us through what the hell be more licks is where did it come from sure be more licks if you can imagine it for for a hot second it's like the the town's uh willy wonka factory but like in a small like shop you walk in and you're like flooded you're inundated with like hundreds of flavors of potential ice cream choices and potential smiles on your face um if you think about uh, the area that it's at, Patterson Park in Baltimore City, you know, above Fells Point and above like Canton and a little bit more towards Fells Point. Um, you have this beautiful, beautiful expanse of greenery where like during the summers it gets like really hot. And the perfect treat to go along with the beautiful scenery is an ice cream cone. Um, so then the owners, I think, had the same idea of uh, Patterson Park being a perfect place for ice cream. Barbara Maloney and Kim Proctor, both of them come from Northeast of the United States. Uh, they come from a family actually of ice cream owners, family shop owners. And they came down here saying like, you know what, Baltimore's missing out on all this amazing ice cream. Let me provide it for them. And you know, that seems to be a running case for some of the different places we've been to in the past where like these people saw like, there's an opportunity for better pizza or there's an opportunity for be like better noodles or whatever. This time it's better ice cream. So they came in in 2017 and they, just gifted the world really with like hundreds of different flavors of soft serve ice cream, hundreds of flavors of milkshakes, 30 different flavors of hard ice cream. We and are not being facetious. No, There's this is literally the hundreds facts. of flavors. This yeah. is, this is like hard numbers out there. Um, they have different kinds of like ways you can eat ice cream. They went past the whole cones and waffle cones and bowls. They gave you uh, ice cream tacos and they give you ice cream nachos and they give you um, coffee filled ice cream cones. These are just like innovations in ice cream technology that I was unaware I of. I didn't before. know about that. Are you talking about drinking coffee out of an ice cream cone? You can have a triple dipped chocolate waffle cone and fill it with either espresso or coffee. Wow. That's impressive. Be more licks. That's pretty dope. Yeah. So that's kind of like the the starting point or like that's kind of the dream that I think both of these people had when they opened up the shop. And when we went, we could definitely see all the amazing colors and like the they're very Baltimore centric kind of place in providing for the city. In that case, um, they just want to provide, you know, as much ice cream as possible. And you know what? We're here to enjoy it. And when we went, we had our own experience. Yeah, I have to say, uh, I'm not a big ice cream person, as I've said before, but I love this place just for the experience that we had. I mean, it is so colorful. There are so many options and it is in such a beautiful part of town, like right on the doorstep of Patterson Park, which is this beautiful, just like green space, enjoying the day, uh, enjoying our ice cream. And it was, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. So all of that, like combined to just like give me this overall really fantastic experience. Yeah. I had the cheesecake, strawberry cheesecake ice cream, uh, on a waffle cone, um, 
One part of ice cream that I do really, really, really love is the cones. So I was super excited by their waffle cones. Delicious, delicious cones. So good. They bake them fresh in-house, and you can smell it right when you walk Every in. Day. Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. It was actually really, really nice. Uh, the strawberry cheesecake ice cream was uh, was pretty good. I was a big, I was, I, I was a fan, but uh, well, I guess we'll talk more about that later. What did you have? I had the ice cream taco. I was I was really much a big fan of their innovations with ice cream, and I was very interested in trying ice cream in a different way that I haven't had before. The I originally went in trying to get the nachos, and at the time they had run out because they were just like that famous. Either way, it's kind of the same concept. You have ice cream surrounded by waffle cone chips, or in this case in the taco, just a shell. And all the ice cream is inside kind of like a sundae. You have ice cream with fudge and whipped cream, sprinkles, and a, I think a cherry was in there at, that I had. Very good, very colorful, very playful on the tongue and very playful just to like mess around with. It came in a little boat so that all my ice cream doesn't just drip off onto the floor. It's not just like they hand you a taco like they do a Taco Bell or anything. It's just, it's like an ice cream sundae mostly. It's pretty dope. Uh, I would have to say my favorite part of the whole experience uh, was actually just walking in and seeing on the board on their menu like up on the walls all of their flavors it's like a little bit intimidating actually how many combinations there actually are how many different flavors there actually are it's it's kind of crazy so they actually have a a rotating menu where with their soft serves they offer you know their top 30 or 40 flavors and then they kind of swap them out but total they have 100 soft serve ice cream flavors 30 hard ice cream flavors, 23 snowball flavors, uh, as well as 45 different specialty cones that they could have at any time of the year, depending on, on you know, what they have available. Uh, but I went ahead and did the math. And I said, if you were going to get one cone, one ice cream flavor, and one topping, how many combinations could you have with just one of each? 172,125 different combinations for one of each. If you start adding double scoops or multiple toppings, it's ridiculous how many combinations you get. Right. It does get into the tens right. of millions. Um, so that was that was like the most impressive part from my end, just the the, the math variety. You didn't well, enjoy the actual <laughs> food. You enjoyed the math more. Well, I definitely did enjoy doing the math, <laughs> but I actually just like the the number of combinations. The fact that they offer so many different flavors to me was the most impressive part of the restaurant. I don't think there's I've ever been to another ice cream place that does something quite on that scale, which is which is pretty That's impressive. That's true. So that being said, I do agree with you in that it was good ice cream, but it wasn't like over the top ice cream. I think their real selling point is that you can go back and back and back and try different flavors and interesting flavors too. Yeah. Also, I don't think- run out of And not run out of ideas and not run out of uh, things to try. The actual quality of the stuff itself is like pretty on par with just regular ice cream. It's really good. Well, it's really unique and creative. Here's where I think having a hundred options kind of like uh, is against you sometimes is that you'll have inevitably flavors that kind of fall below the average- and flavors that I think are above average. And the, the truth of the matter is that we'll never know how many of those are above average or below average unless we've tried them all. And so if I could go back again and try a different ice cream flavor, I'm sure I'll find one that I love. Or maybe I'll go back and just be com- reconfirming or reassessing my, my value. Like, okay, this is just okay ice cream. Or maybe I'll just have like a really bad flavor and not enjoy the experience. Yeah, definitely. As long as you get there early. And I can't stress this enough. We got there right when the place opened and it was uh, really good because we were able to get in and get out. There's still a lot of people waiting, but we were able to get in and get out. If you you know wait until well into the day when they're open, you are going to be waiting in a pretty hefty line. That was another knock I had on it, but that's not their fault. That just means you know there's a lot of people in the area who want to come try uh, all of their interesting flavors and stuff. Uh, but with that said, I think we have to uh, slap a rating on it. Yeah. Let's do it. So all things taken into consideration, everything you just said, what do you think your overall rating is? It's a 5.0, right 5. on the money. 5.0. Five licks out of six. Okay. So even the the fact that you weren't overwhelmed or, or super enthused with the with the quality of the flavor, quality of the ice cream, still gave it like a, a five? Yeah. To, to fully describe that rating, it's more like it's above par ice cream like it's it wasn't terrible it's good ice yeah, cream yeah they're very good at like promoting and like marketing different types of ice cream the experience was really good the fact that you could have an ice cream then walk around in the park the price is really good for like especially like anyone really like if you walk in with five bucks you can get an ice cream and like that will fill you up kind of thing uh i'm right there with you i think i'm gonna have to give it a 5.0 as well i kind of wrestled with the what what rating i was gonna give it but i think 5.0 is very fair uh, it is good ice cream. 
uh, even me, somebody who doesn't really like ice cream, I can tell that it's like good ice cream. It's not over the top. Even I had a specialty flavor. It wasn't like crazy explosions of flavor or anything like that. It wasn't anything you can't get, you know, somewhere else. But I think the thing that it does offer is the variety. Like I can go, if I was so inclined, I could go back and try something new and they get really creative with their flavors too. You can't undersell the creativity, right? right? They're, they're really mixing things together and trying to think outside of the box and, and, and have as many cone. outside of the cone have as many flavors as they want, as many different serving styles as they want. So I do appreciate that. And then also big, big points for just the experience. I mean, you go on a nice day. It's a beautiful building. They have beautiful murals painted on the side. Yeah, uh, very Instagrammy. Yeah, very Instagrammy. Very, very cool looking um, ice cream, lots of colors and stuff like that. And right next to the park, I mean, you really can't beat that. So, you know, for all those things, uh, you know, big, big praise. And uh, I'm probably not going to go back because I'm not a big ice cream person. But if I ever wanted to take somebody to get ice cream, That's I would go doing. there. I think it's I think it's great. So, so yeah, five so out of six for me. Let's kind of review this this for a second. I got a five out of six. You got a five out of six. Correct. This is the first time on podcast history, at least in ours, that we get the same rating. Is that on so? something that is very true? Didn't yeah. we? Didn't no, we? No, we got super close, super and we close. got we got really proud of ourselves for getting closer. But now we're right. we're the same. We've merged. We are the same tongue. Um, I'm into it. And you know, you know, now that we got the same rating, you have to abide by Article Three on the contract that made you sign when we first started this podcast, which is, is that no we have contract. to, which is we have to do five licks in sequential like order at the same time on air. So ready? You want me to lick my yeah, microphone? No, don't actually lick it. Just make the sound that kind. That That's sound. Disgusting. That's the sound I want. I'm not going to do that. Five in a listeners. row right no. now. Ready? Three. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Two. One. Welcome back to the Taste It Podcast. We're moving on to our tastes of the week, and I'm really excited about this week's taste of the week. I think we have some really good, strong recommendations. Yeah, some good treats. Exactly. Some desserts for the dessert episode. Exactly. I'm super excited about my uh, taste of the week. I'm also super excited about your taste of the week. Uh, why don't I get started first? Yeah, go And ahead. then we can, we can just get to it. So I'm actually recommending a TV show. TV show. Yes. It is one that you can check out. It's an Amazon Prime original. So if you have Amazon Prime, you can check it out on Amazon Prime. I think uh, shortly in the future, there's going to be other ways to watch. So keep mm-hmm. an eye out for that. What's it called? It is called Forever. Forever. Yes, Forever. Uh, so it is starring, I mean, it's written and directed by these two guys. Um, you probably wouldn't know who they are. I won't spend too much time on them. I don't know about their directorial backgrounds, writing backgrounds. I can't point you to anything else that they've that's, done. That's my favorite part. I know. I usually like that too, but these guys are kind of sh- not shrouded in mystery. They're just kind of hard to find stuff on. But uh, the most, I guess the most uh, tangible or recognizable figures in this project would be the two stars, which are Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph. So you'll know them both. They've been in the comedy game for a long time. They were both on SNL uh, throughout the 2000s. Uh, Maya Rudolph is obviously very, very famous. Fred Armisen is the kind of guy where like you definitely know him if you see him. Incredible and you, people. Incredible, super funny people. And just so, so good together. Uh, and so the show basically follows the lives of this, this married couple. Um, kind of, I don't want to give away any uh, spoilers because there's a spoiler no, right yeah. in the first episode that I can't give away. And then if I talk about the rest of the show, it kind of gives away what happens in the first episode. So I'll be cryptic, but I'll just say it's about the lives of these married couples and I guess some of the struggles that they face as a married couple, some of the things that they're going through and the realizations that they're having in their own lives about you know how they interact with the world, how they want the world to interact with them. It doesn't sound like a comedy, but it is. And the well, reason- I mean, with with people like Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph. Exactly. You know, how it's could natural it not be? comedy. Yeah, they, they really can find the humor in anything. And it's so amazing. The reason that I am actually recommending this show this week, and this is what I want to spend the bulk of the time talking about, is that I was so blown away uh, with how novel it was. To me, I had never seen anything like it. Like I was watching it and I was just like, man, I have never seen a show like this. It's it's funny, but it's funny in the weirdest way. It really capitalizes on this kind of discussion and this feeling of boredom and like the space in between events. 
So let me put it to you like this. When no. we're watching TV, we're watching a story, right? Yes. There's a main character. Some stuff is happening to him. Something's going on. Or There's her. A, or her. There's a plot line. You know what I mean? Yes. Something's going on uh, in, in that character's life. And there's events and stuff like that. Okay. So what happens the rest of the time? Like, Imagine that this character or this story, this universe, whatever you're watching is real. Don't they go to the bathroom? Don't they sit on the couch? Don't they, yeah, have, they have awkward have conversations with the uh, customer service at Best Buy? Of course they do, right? So this show was like, let's just focus on those moments. All those moments that don't constitute something interesting that you'd want to watch. And let's really capitalize on that. It's not the main focus of the show, but it is something that the show does incredibly well. They take these like mundane activities. Uh, the show is really about a stagnant marriage, right? And so it takes kind of this stagnant, boring, kind of awkward feeling, all those moments that are, you know you don't think are, in, are super significant, and it really makes comedy out of them. And it's so, so well done. And I'd never seen anything like it before, and it completely blew my mind. And so that's one thing I wanted to talk about that was incredible. The other thing I want to talk about was that it makes some really, really, really broad claims, really, really, really powerful messages about marriage and the idea of marriage. How so? It, it does so in that like happily ever after is usually where the story ends, right? When we're, when we're talking, like we were just talking about, you know, you're watching a TV show, you're watching characters, something like that, especially love stories. We have this, you know, obsession as a society with like the love story and the chase and how it gets to that. So they do away with that. Like in the first se couple seconds of the episode, they're just like, you know, boy meets girl, whatever they get married. And then the rest of the show is about it's the like, after is the after it's the happily it's after the happily ever after bit of the story. Right. And it's, it's like, well, let's like really explore what happens when you're with somebody for 10, 15, 20 years and stuff like that. Yeah. And what happens to you and like how people change and, and, and who they are. It's not all about like passion and like exactly. extended romance all the time. It's like about, it was like when you first meet someone. Yeah. It's about cooking dinner and it's about, you know, just whatever happened to you that day. There's one scene in the first episode that I think is so, so, so funny. I could not get over it. Um, it was uh, Fred Armisen comes home. Uh, he was just at the store and they were giving out free calendars. And so this is something that, you know, constitutes an exciting event for him, right? <laughs> so he comes home and he's like, hey, check it out. They were just giving the, out these free calendars. And it's the most boring conversation. It's like the most non-event ever, but they make a whole scene out of it. And the, the dynamic between Fred Armisen and Maya Rudolph is just so yeah. on fire that they could take this really mundane kind of non-story and then make it a scene in the show. And after enough of those happen, you kind of start to catch on and you start to kind of start to feel the characters, you know, dealing with this own internal struggle, this own battle with the the boredom in their lives or, or, or maybe like the repetitive nature of, of this marriage, this prolonged right. marriage and stuff like that. And so it just got me really thinking about, you know, every second of life can't be like this big extravagant experience. You have to make your peace with these lulls in between the events it's like and you being have content to find with silence kind of thing. It's being content with silence is a good analogy. Yeah. And it's kind of not, I would go even a step further than that is like appreciating the silence when you have it, because when something without giving too much of the show away, when something exciting or revelatory happens or something like that, um, and you think, Oh, this is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. This is what I wanted. You might find that you actually miss the mundane. You might miss just, eating the same thing every day or sitting on the couch or yeah. doing nothing the small and stuff things. like that, the small things. And so I'm talking about a comedy that is making me think about these things and have these feelings and stuff like that, which is why it's my taste of the week this week. I think it's just really kind of, it threw me for a loop. Cause like I said, I had never seen anything like it before. True. The novelty was just amazing. Um, I did for, for my own purposes, I went online and read some reviews to see what things people maybe didn't like about it. Cause I couldn't think of anything that I didn't like about right. it. Um, based on what other people were hearing is that, you know, if you're not on board with that, if you don't know that going in, maybe you just were thinking, Oh, my Rudolph, I like her. Let me turn it on. Maybe, show. yeah, maybe it'll be like some funny SNL stuff, some sketch comedy or something like that. And you turn it on, you don't know what you're getting into. You might be a little thrown off 
by how low key it is, how right. laid back the entire vibe is. That's kind of but the that's point. That's kind of the point. And so if you know that going in, I think you'll be okay. But if you're expecting, you know, slapstick SNL comedy, you will be disappointed. It is not that type of comedy. It's my Rudolph and Fred Armisen really trying something else. And I just love Fred Armisen so much. My God, he is so funny in this show. Uh, there are some really, really good scenes. There are some events and things that happen really exciting. There's really good skiing sequence where they go skiing right. and there's like some little, uh, you know, physical comedy on the, on the, on the I mean, mountainside and stuff like that. Exactly. On the slopes. On the slopes and stuff like that. So there is a little bit of that, but a majority of the show is about you making peace with the, with the non-story portions, the, the things that don't progress the show forward, just like those, those little absences of events, those lulls. And it's interesting that they would choose something that doesn't progress the story, the story forward as something that, you know, pushes the story forward. Exactly. It's, it's weird that they would capitalize on boredom on something that's supposed to cure boredom, you know, technically. So it's kind of like being actively aware of it. Absolutely. And that's one of the central themes of the show is that like sometimes when you are met with these scenes where nothing's really happening or they're the dialogue between them is kind of stale and, and maybe you don't see anything going on in the story, that is like really where your brain typically would go on autopilot, right? Yeah. That's the kind of stuff in your own life where you just forget about it. Nobody remembers the conversation they had uh, with somebody, you know, on the elevator two years ago, right? But those are major, major scenes in the show, and they craft them meticulously, very delicately. The show writers and Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen's performance is so detailed, and it's done so specifically, is because they want to show you that that meaningless interaction is actually very, very important for understanding how these characters feel and how they relate to each other, right? Maya Rudolph is, uh, I would say, more at the center of the show than Fred Armisen, and it's in those moments where they're having these kind of like non-conversations or just these these lulls in their life um, where you kind of get inside the head of Maya Rudolph and you understand what she's going through and some of the some of the ways that she feels about the marriage, some of the way that she feels about her own life. Uh, and you wouldn't understand that if you didn't go through those boring, dull moments with her and like have that experience. And so I, I really applaud the show for like picking apart kind of a a lull. And saying, what do we actually have here in this blank space? What we have here in this in-between scene, if you will, or whatever it is. Um, so I just love that. I, I I think it's so brilliant, and I've never seen anything like it. I'm just like, I was totally obsessed with it. It was amazing. So Atlas, as we do always on this show, uh, after your amazing description of the show and about the different characteristics that you think kind of stand out from it, uh, it's now time to rate it. Absolutely. So on a scale of one to six, how many licks for this dish? I gave it a 5.6. Oh, shit. High rating, high rating. Really uh, high. Really loved it. Like I said, I couldn't find anything that I didn't really like about it. Um, the reason I, I took away some of the rating is because some people said that it was a little bit slow uh, and they didn't like that. But I think you missed the point if that's how you feel. But at the same time, fair is fair. I understand. Uh, you know, it's not for everybody. So I can't give it a perfect rating because I don't think everybody should see it. It's, I don't think it's for everybody. Atlas, I know that you like this movie a lot, and I'm really glad that I recommended it to you, that you were able to watch it. Absolutely. Big, big, big fan. Big fan. I'm a huge fan. I think all my friends should watch it. Everyone out there should see it. It was recommended to me by a friend, so I do have to give him the props, the proper recognition for introducing me to something like this. It definitely has become a very significant taste of the week in my life and also Atlas's life, I think, now. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So let me tell you a little bit about Sing Street. Uh, please, boys and girls on do. the interwebs. Uh, this movie is set in Ireland, Dublin, Ireland. It's about uh, this boy, about this boy who lives in a family who's slowly coming apart, unfortunately, due to marital problems between the mom and the dad. And he kind of finds solace in like music and his brother, like and the interaction that they have that kind of came together because of music. And when he has to go to a different school um, to kind of like make uh, matters easier for their family. He comes across and meets different kinds of people and he meets this girl and this girl, he tries to impress by telling him that he has a band and that he is going to be shooting a music video and that she should come out in it. Big player, by the way, this guy very much 
uh, has very big balls in order to like come up to a girl just the way that he did. But the thing is, he doesn't have a band and he's not shooting a music video, but now he has to. So he gets together with one other of his friends to kind of find the other people that are going to be part of his band. And together they pour their heart and soul into making very good music, very quality music that is very unique to this movie. To talk a little bit more about this music, um, the music was kind of composed together uh, by the director. His name is John Carney and a couple of other like famous musicians and artists that like he kind of reached out to to kind of help put it together. He kind of came across the influence of one big band called U2, as like we all know and love. Um, and he kind of wanted to go for like the whole 80s vibe. So on his soundtrack, on the like the playlist of the movie is bands like The Cure and Duran Duran. And he was kind of going for like this very campy 80s vibe uh, that you see in music videos like back on MTV. And I think that comes across really well in the movie itself when they are recreating these kinds of music videos. Uh, what I love about it in particular was that it very much encapsulates, I think, one person's perspective and about his growth um, from not being like very confident in himself, not knowing where he's going to embracing kind of like his dream and his passions by following it and going from Dublin to London where like he could hope to like find a better life and like proceed more in his music career. Um, a big part of that also is that this movie is kind of like loosely based on the life of the director, John Carney. Um, he made this movie just kind of like talking about his own experience living in Dublin, what that was like living in the 80s, figuring out the best way to express that story. There's a kind of a lot of like hardships and struggles that the other side characters experience that we don't really get to delve into. But we kind of do touch base a lot on a lot of them. The brother himself has like his own like tragic kind of like sad story about like how he went into college and had to drop out because he wasn't um, all that he thought he was meant to be. The sister has has her own story about like how she's pursuing a career, but not really her passion. The mom's kind of has her own um, direction in which like she wants something more out of the marriage that she's not currently getting. And a couple of other the characters around also experiencing their own sets of hardships that something that's very unique to this movie don't get resolved by the end of it. It's like, it's just part of life. And I think that's very realistic. You have all, all these characters kind of living their lives and kind of coming along to it, but they don't have to be resolved by the end. Um, but the do the main focus that you do have throughout the whole movie is the perspective of this one guy, Connor Lawler. And the music that he kind of puts together with the help of his brother and the help of his bandmates, you know, is very uplifting and very like comedic in some senses. And it's very honestly good music. Like it, in any sense of the word, like some of the music that comes out in the song can be like a number one hit in different time periods that like I know of. It definitely like holds its own merit. And I think Atlas and I have been kind of like humming and singing along to it for like the past week or two. Absolutely. I cannot speak highly enough for how good the actual music is in this movie. I'm a big fan of uh, musical movies, musical theater and things like that. Whenever you can incorporate music or songs or whatever into uh, film, I'm, I'm all over it. Um, but to have something like this where every track is just so consistently catchy and good, I mean, it just like elevated the quality of the movie for me like a hundredfold. Yeah. So even if you haven't seen the movie, you could definitely go on Spotify, check out the music, the movie soundtrack, play it in your car if you're driving around, have a good time with it. Roll the windows down, kind of embrace the kind of feel that the movie is trying to go for amidst its other like uh, themes and qualities. Yeah. So I actually have a question for you on that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Is that... As much as the as good as the music is on its own, and how much you could appreciate it and just listen to the soundtrack on Spotify, it fits into the story in a really cool way that I really liked. Uh, did you catch that, like, with the growth in the musical uh, education of, of 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 the main character Connor, as he learned about new bands, he took on a different persona throughout the movie. Yeah, he kind of took on a different style. It influenced him in a different way. And it kind of caused him to behave differently and, and turned his life in different directions. I really like that. And uh, I just wanted to wondering if you could like speak on that a little bit. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the different movements that happened in the 80s and the music in the 80s, like you had bands like Duran Duran who are just pushing the bar in terms of like what kind of good music could be out there. And bands like The Cure to kind of like explore different kinds of themes and mediums in their songs, kind of like this happy, sad vibe that they touch upon in the movies. You see those very distinct uh, looks and those two very distinct feels in the movie. Like at the beginning when he's more into Duran Duran, the way that he dresses changes, the way that he kind of like carries himself and embraces like who he is or like this like look that he wants to become kind of like how most artists kind of try to define themselves or set themselves apart. That's kind of what he was doing in his school. 
um, when Duran Duran, sorry, when The Cure became more of his major influence, he kind of became a little bit more sad and mopey, but also being content with that and like kind of finding the beauty behind it and like being using that to fuel his music and like finding inspiration and in like other things and other mediums, not just happy things, but also sad things. And so that evolved with his music and that was able to like push the story along. And like any good movie device, it kind of like helped tell more of the story by telling more of like the background of what was going on between him and the girl that he was trying to impress um, and how eventually they grew up in their relationship as well. Yeah, I have to say uh, it, it's so funny to me. There's like this parallel that's kind of sitting there in the movie. And on on one of the parallels you have, you have this, this boy who it's a coming of age story and he's kind of figuring out who he is as a person. And he's going through all these things that all, you know, 15, 16 year old boys go through where it's like, you know, I've got, I got bullies to deal with. I got home life problems. I've got all this. And, it, and he, he's kind of figuring out how to deal with it and how to take it all in. And the way he does that is when he listens to a new music or studies some new music or listens to some new records, he takes the messages from that music, from that artist and applies it to his own life. You know, maybe changes his persona, gets a little bit tougher, you know, all this kind of stuff that happens. On the other hand, you have his growth, not just as a person, but as a musician, where he does the same thing, right? He might listen to Duran Duran one week and then just love the outfit, love the jacket, the colorful jacket, stuff like that. He might listen to The Cure and then change his hair to this like dark jet black hair and stuff like that. And so his growth as an artist is paralleled perfectly with his growth as just a regular boy and the two blend together so perfectly. And for me, it made me kind of re-examine my relationship with music and like how I did that throughout my life, right? It's because it's like, when you're listening to new music and stuff like that, you can kind of grow with your musical taste, right? You might listen to some new music, it might kind of parallel with how you, different you are as a person yeah, in a different we've point all in your had, life. We've all had those like moments in our lives when we can define like a, a certain period of our lives with a certain kind of music. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like you, if you go on any person's Spotify playlist, go back maybe like a couple of years, go to like their high school playlist, you'll see like, oh, summer 2017 or like summer back in the day, you know? It's so funny. And so to see that in movie form, to me, it was just like so cool because it's like, you're right, everybody in the eighth grade Middle was listening tunes. to like Linkin Park, right? And yeah. it's like, and it's it's just like, you're growing as a person and you're changing as a person, but also your musical tastes are changing. And then him, he had this extra layer of like, he was also growing as an artist and cause he was in a band and he was making music. So the music that he made changed depending on how he was feeling and what was going on in his life at that time. And I just thought that was super cool. Yeah. I mean, like any good storytelling device, you know, we're able to see that kind of exemplified because obviously there's a passage of time within it. It doesn't all happen like within like a week or two. Um, the people come closer together. The artists kind of like try to define themselves and they define their music as well. So in trying to find your place, kind of like when you first start high school, finding your group of friends, um, avoiding, overcoming the major hurdles that kind of come up and then using that as a creative outlet, using music as a creative outlet for all that is definitely something that makes a big point in the movie and kind of pushes the story along. Yeah, I think there's this trope of like, you know, music being a tool uh, to deal with all the things you, in your life, art being a tool to like express and kind of a, an outlet for all the dealing with all the things in your life. But the way that this movie did it was just so completely unique. And I yeah, thought that was really cool. For sure. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, maybe you can speak sure. to this a little bit. There's some really interesting characters. You already talked about it. Some really complex characters in this story. Um, and I like that they're complex and they have layers and they have things going on in their life. Uh, but it's not overdone and there's not necessarily a resolution like you said before, right? Sometimes yeah. you just like find Even out. the ending is ambiguous. Exactly. Uh, and I really like that. Uh, so one particular character and relationship I wanted to ask you about sure. is because it, it struck me kind of. Go for it. Was that the relationship that Connor, the main character, has with his brother, Yeah, his older brother. Uh, now you don't have an older sibling. Uh, I don't. And you don't have a brother. But I have an older brother. So uh, when I was listening to this, I, I, I will say- To this advice that Brendan, like his older brother was giving? Yeah, the, basically the conversations that they had. It was a real mentor-mentee relationship, but it wasn't until like maybe two thirds of the way through the movie, you find out that the older brother actually has like a lot more that he's holding on to yeah. emotionally yeah. than you originally thought. And basically the, the summary of it or the gist of it is that this older brother basically had to fall on the sword for his younger brother to kind of pursue his dreams. His, the older brother's kind of viewed as like a bit of a screw up. You know, he's a college dropout. He doesn't really have a job. And, and you know, I think he's a little bit less successful uh, than he would have wanted to be, or he didn't live up to the expectations that people had for him. Sure. And because of that, it was harder for him to do things like 
be in a rock band and and you know listen to music and go out with his friends all hours of the night and stuff like that he he even says you know i used to play that guitar and i used to be really good at it um but you know when when i dropped out of school and stuff like that people called me a bum for playing the guitar you know and not in i'm paraphrasing here right um but he's like you know people said you know that's just him he's a screw up and stuff like that he's like then you come around and you start this band you're playing guitar and it's like it's all working out for you it's almost i feel like i got I had to take the brunt of the storm for you. That was more in regards to like the family dynamic. I think exactly how much pressure was on him to succeed and do good in school. Like any older brother, any me coming, me speaking as an older brother, um, because that's the relationship I have with my sibling is that I understand because everything that uh, I did, I had to do with the, the weight of my parents, uh, reaction to it so like I had to go to a good school do well and stuff and I had to behave a certain way but when my sister came along like my younger sister things were just kind of easier for her that's a perfect so that's a perfect that's summary kind of, for it yeah. that's kind of what Brendan was going through like uh, the parents were more strict on him were more like pressuring him to follow a career rather than like a passion wherein uh, they kind of became more lackadaisical when it came to Connor the younger brother exactly that's actually a perfect summary for yeah. it yeah so I, I, and I that relationship or that dynamic was like kind of spelled out so beautifully in that scene where yes, they do have very their, good acting. Yeah. He actually won an award for that. Uh, the older brother, he won a best supporting actor uh, for an independent film. That doesn't seem, that seems like kind of a triv- trivial sibling issue. It doesn't seem like a big deal, but the way that it's portrayed in this movie is profound. Really made me realize how profound it was. Yeah. yeah you're absolutely Especially right. Especially with all like the, the help that the older brother was giving to the younger brother. Yeah. What kind of help went the other way? Like you never yeah. saw Connor doing anything for Brendan. And that was so gratifying at the end of the movie when you see how excited that the older brother is for, um, for, for Connor for leaving. The younger brother in terms of, uh, you know, him doing what he wants yeah. to do with his life. But let me, let yeah. me, let me go from there and talk a little bit more about like conflict resolution or character development and how this applies to this movie and how that's so much different from other movies and this is something i noticed by the end of the movie when you know how like most movies like you have like the a plot the b plot the c plot kind of thing absolutely and how in the b and the c plots you have like the supporting characters the side actors having their own issues having their own character arcs where in most movies they kind of come to a close and you see them like grow or change or be in a different position from where they started even in this movie yeah that you didn't have that you had other characters you had the sister go through her own thing but you never see that resolution you had the parents go through their own thing you don't see that resolution the the teachers the bullies you know things like that you see you see them in different points in time but you don't see it like finish out for them in a way even brendan during that last scene he's trying to do better but he's not like oh i found my place or like oh i'm successful now or like I'm still growing kind of thing when he like says goodbye to his younger brother he's happy for him he loves him like he like gave him a big emotional moment there at the end but you know he's still kind of in the same place where he's still looking for a job he's still looking for a way to get back in the game wherein his younger brother is already out there reaching and like going for his dreams but the biggest non-conflict resolution is Connor driving off on his boat at the end and spoilers, minor spoilers from here, like just from here forward. And this is an important topic because this is something that director himself made a, like an input in. When you see Connor leaving at the end of the movie, right? He's on his boat. He's there with the girl that he's been trying to impress this whole movie. And you know what? Now they have a genuine relationship. She went through her own ordeal and you didn't really see what happened or like what actually she went through. You just know that she had some kind of issues and she kind of came to terms with it on her own. And they're off driving towards London. You know, they're on the boat, a tiny boat of makes this like giant sea that they have to like cross over or whatever. They're in the wake of like this giant streamline uh, boat and there's a storm coming. What's the likelihood that that boat survives that storm? The ambiguous ending that I'm talking about there is that like either a it's a very happy moment that like he makes it to this point and you kind of imagine him going to London and succeeding. Or B, something terrible happens along the way. He doesn't make it to London. Or in London, he doesn't find success like you want him to do. The director of this movie, John Carney, whom this movie is based off of, right? Whom uh, he made this uh, story as kind of a way to explain why so many people from Ireland were going to London, even traveling across the sea, even risking their lives to find better opportunities. He mentions that like he wished that more people would find that last ending as kind of bittersweet and more kind of like morbid, more sad, more understanding that maybe they didn't make it. Isn't that weird that like the director would want kind of like the sad ending? 
for a movie. I think that is weird. Uh, but it's also does that make the movie of, more realistic? I think it's indicative of what the movie is really about. You know, it's almost uh, there's this really great scene uh, where uh, the leading lady in in the film says, you know, you can't half-ass it. You know, you just have to do it. They're shooting a music video, and basically, they're they were gonna have her pretend to jump in the water, and she actually jumps in the water. And she says, "No, it's gotta, it's got, you gotta do it with your whole heart." And I think that's like a, a big theme in the movie, especially a part of the growth of the main character, Connor. And so that's what I took away from that ending scene. It was just like, you know, he really does have to put it all on the line. And speaking more broadly into what the director's point was in making this movie, uh, which I did see this online, uh, it was about you know, why were so many people, you know, going to England from Ireland? Why are they trying to flee the economic hardships in Ireland and stuff like that and try to seek a better life? It's because they literally had to. Like, you know, there there was no money. There's no jobs. You had to do it and you had to do something big and drastic at any means necessary. And that's kind of where the movie leaves off. And I think it's cool. It's definitely atypical, but it's really, really cool. And even though there's no conclusion, I think it's satisfying. It is. And yeah. you know what? Like, I think a lot of that adds to the perspective of it coming from like a middle school. No, sorry. A what is like a 14, 15 year yeah, old, like 15. Yeah. yeah. 14, 15 year old, like young boy who thinks that he could achieve his dreams. It's That's very true. fantastical. There's like, it's, it's a very good mix of like, um, you know, rose colored glasses kind of on that final scene with realism of like being in a dangerous situation. Yeah. The end of all coming of age stories, it seems like always end on this optimistic note, right? Cause a coming of age story and, it means that like by the end of the story, you are like at the, beginning you're at the commencement of your adulthood right and it's like at that point is that's when you have the most number of possibilities so i think to end this coming of age story keeping up with that tradition the director left it with just the optimal number of possibilities there's just so many different ways that the story could end for all the characters it got a 95 percent of rotten tomatoes it got a 9.5 on imbd and for me it gets a 5.5 out of licks out of six licks i completely agree with you um, well, when you see it, you'll, you'll kind of have the same reaction. I think, do you, would you give it a perfect six or, uh, no, I would definitely give it, give it something high. I would give it, uh, maybe like a 5.7, 5.8. Uh, to me it was, uh, and again, I, I'm, I'm so jazzed on it now. Cause you've seen it twice. I just saw it last night. Yeah. Right. So maybe I'm still in the, the glow of it, but I, I immediately, I was just like, this is the kind of movie that I'm going to be recommending to people for the rest of my life. When Same I, here. Same when here. I first saw it, I was like, you know what? This is the greatest movie you've never heard of. That's that was my interpretation because yeah. because I couldn't believe I saw all a trailer our friends need to for watch it. this right now. Exactly, everyone needs to put on some kind of movie watch party. Get as many friends together as they can and watch Sing Street. Yes. Because I saw the trailer for it back in 2016 when the movie actually. Oh, you premiered. saw the trailer? Yeah, I did see the trailer for it. I remember thinking like, oh, that's pretty cool. I think it. I, I thought it was like a Beatles origin story to be honest, because I was just like, oh, like UK. All right, cool. Like you know, you know, <laughs> stuff. Uh, turns out I was completely off. But uh, I remember thinking like, oh, that maybe I'll check that out. And I never checked it out. Never heard of it again. Never really. Thought thought about it until you brought it up and i just like i'm so glad that i saw it because i i now having seen it i can't imagine going the rest of my life having not seen this movie i just think it's the most incredible coming of age story i think so many people can get so many good things out of it uh it's not a perfect film you're right but yeah it's, but yeah, not, it's, it's not really perfect good. but it definitely is so good that people need to yeah need to watch high it. praise high praise for this movie yeah All right, and that's it for the Taste It podcast. Thank you so much for listening. We had so much fun with this episode. It was our first dessert episode. Uh, it was a good time. We went to Be More Licks Ice Cream near Patterson Park. You should definitely check it out. We had a great movie, uh, Sing Street. It was fantastic. I highly recommend it. And also Forever, the TV show. You can check it out on Amazon Prime and more ways to watch in the future, I believe, based on what I read. Yes. If you like the show, uh, you should share it with a friend of yours and check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The handle is at Taste It Podcast on all three. Um, I am so sorry. Oh, my God. That's such a no-no on the Taste It podcast. We have a strict phones off policy. Did you not policy. see the light that's outside our door that says, please I turn know, off phones before I know. coming into the studio? We're recording. It's so unprofessional. I'm so sorry. Do you sorry. not see the red light over our door that says we're recording? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry.